As promised, our text this morning comes from 2 John. And I'll be reading the first three verses of 2 John. There's only one chapter, so I would say one. Maybe done. 2 John 1 through 3. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Heavenly Father, bless your understanding this reading and exposition of your infallible, inerrant word. Amen. Bible scholars are divided about who this elect lady is. The older scholars were convinced it was an actual lady. Um, that John, who calls himself simply the elder here, that he writes a letter to an actual lady in a house with her children. Many more more modern scholars have come to the conclusion that the elect lady is a coded message to a particular congregation. It's an elect lady and the children of the church. I believe, as having thoroughly uh, read the arguments for both sides, that it could be either one. <laughs> I think there are strong arguments for both. And I, and I don't think it holds us back from applying it either way. All we do know about this little one, thir one chapter book of the New Testament, verses 1 through 13, that it was no doubt written by the same John who wrote the Gospel of John and the first epistle of John and the third epistle of John, as well as the book of Revelation. That much seems uh, very clear. But Unlike in those other places, there are no specific names and there are no specific places. And so it leads us to um, speculate, and hopefully in a godly way, about who these people actually are. But it does say, beginning the who it's from, it's from the elder. John, the apostle, calls himself an elder, uh, a presbyteros, if you want the original uh, uh, word. If you were here this morning and you've always wondered, you wandered into a Presbyterian church and you've always wondered, what does that mean? I mean, I, I, I did when I first went to a seminary that was reformed, 
my, my relatives in Alabama thought I was going to reform school and they didn't know I was that needed of that. They never heard of such a thing. Um, but I learned quickly that Presbyterian uh, is a word that means elder. It means, um, and it means the type of government that our church has. We are a church run by elders collectively. Unlike some churches that have a congregational form of government where you vote on everything, uh, we uh, elect representatives in the form of elders to represent, and those uh, many decisions, with the exception of a few important things, are done by the board of elders. So John calls himself an elder, uh, and, and uh, it's an important designation. And he says he's writing to the elect lady uh, and her children. The word lady is kyria in Greek, and if you have familiarity with church um, lingo, that's, you will know that that's also a, a word that's used in some communions to describe a church. So this has led, uh, and some say that it came from 2 John, and some say no, its usage was before that, and that's why many believe this uh, elect lady is a congregation. But what I want to emphasize about this term, elect lady, is the word elect. If you know anything about Presbyterians, you know that we're famous for the P word, and I don't mean Presbyterian, I mean predestination. And uh, it's not something that we run away from or hide from. We believe what the Bible teaches is very plainly that God has chosen his people from before the foundation of the world to be a people for himself. And so that's what elect means, his elect people, whether it's an individual lady or whether it's a group of individuals in a church, it is God's elect people. We, we, uh, I have a new members class. It's not necessary to believe in predestination to become a member of our local body of believers. I always explain that. Some people have a, have a uh, don't believe. They simply don't believe the Bible teaches that, and that's fine. Early in my ministry, when I was very young, uh, we we had it. We were blessed to have a relationship through members and uh, from Wichita of. The late Dr. John Gerstner. Some of you have heard of uh, Dr. Gerstner, famous for being the mentor of Dr. R.C. Sproul. Uh, and what a firebrand. Uh, and a few of us remember when he came to visit us and uh, had the privilege of, uh, of introducing him around and taking him to the Washington Madison Baptist uh, uh, Conference. and. I was so pleased, and all, and all my Baptist brothers were so excited to, to uh, 
uh, have such an eminent scholar and gentleman as uh, Dr. Gerster come and speak to him until he started to talk. <laughs> because the first story he told was about um, about uh, doing uh, seminars. He did seminars in various churches and he told a story about how he went to a church and how he he was going to teach a series of messages on predestination and a dear lady beforehand came running up to him and said, Dr. Gerster, I want you to know, I don't believe the Bible teaches predestination. And very gruff, strong man stuck out his hand and said, ma'am, we shook her hand and said, we can still have good fellowship. We have the same Lord. We, we believe the Bible is the word of God. Why don't you come to my seminar and tell me afterwards what you think? So she did. And after three days, she came up to Dr. Gerster and said, Dr. Gerster, I now believe the Bible teaches predestination. But I don't believe it. No. <laughs> and we all laughed, and everybody laughed. But Dr. Gerster got very stern, and he pointed his finger. He says, now, ma'am, you're not arguing with me. You're arguing with the living God. And this is where we want to keep it. This is, this is where, where our desire is to simply teach the truth of, in love. And this truth was so embedded in John from his his. Uh, not only his personal experience of being one of the apostles three and a half years with the Lord Jesus personally, but from the direct revelation of God. This is where we want to keep the subject. We submit, we sit under the word of God. And what John the Elder wants to impart to this elect lady and her children in love, whom I love in truth, is simply that. Love. The love that Jesus has for his church and for his people. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled after a, a many-year hiatus that um, Catherine Bruce had the initiative to coordinate and lead a vacation Bible school. And all the, the response watching that has just been tremendous. And all those who volunteered and helped, all the details, it's just been a joy to see. But I know what the, you can just see it. Stroll the hallways, look at the preparations. Um, there are going to be some killer crafts, by the way. <laughs> My wife has been working on, and so many of you have contributed toward. But the motivation is love for children. Love for children. How, how many testimonies has this session, our session of elders, heard over, over the years of, of, of people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ because they went to a vacation Bible school? Because it was the means in the, the uh, <coughs> eternal decree of God to bring them to faith. So 
If your children are not signed up for Vacation Bible School, I encourage you to sign them up today and tell their friends and come to hear this great truth. Because we love the truth of God so much that we want to see our children walk in that truth as well. Why do we love the truth? Why do we love Jesus? It's because of verse 2, because of the truth that remains in us or abides in us. If you have a real relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, note what this verse says. You will it says you will remain in that relationship forever, that nothing can separate you from him. And that he who began that work of grace in you when you first were enabled to believe and when you did believe in him will complete it. And having begun that work, he will never, never rest until it is completed because he's God. Because he's Jesus, who is the way, who is the truth, who is the life. This word abide it means a condition that remains regardless of any circumstances around us. And it remains because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because we are in him, we will remain in him and in that truth forever. That is a, that is a powerful truth that will transform your day-to-day -day existence when you get your heart around that truth. When you get your heart around that truth that nothing ever, ever can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, as Paul the Apostle puts it in chapter 8 of Romans. Nothing. Angels, principalities, things present, the future, things that we don't understand. Not even death itself can separate us from that love. Because it remains forever. When I first came to uh, Arkansas and just knew a few people, including Dow personally, who worked with Dr. Ed Wheat up in Springdale, and I always, I always loved to go see Dr. Wheat. He was, all, he always had some new contraption he wanted to try out on me, and uh, it was, uh, yeah, this is one thing to burn things off that. He always say would burn him off. He says, "Are you smoking more and enjoying it less?" You know, he say things like that. But he had this sign on his on his office that are only he said that that were only two things that are going to last: the word of God and the souls of men. Think about that. All this stuff that we see is not is going to burn up. It's going to be totally consumed in the judgment of God. 
and it's going to be reconstituted into a new heaven and a new earth. And the only thing that will abide forever is Christ in you. And the question for you at this moment should be, am I abiding, am I trusting, am I remaining in my faith to Jesus Christ? And what produces that? Verse 3 tells us what produces that love that remain forever. This threefold graces of God, it's only used here and in 1 Timothy in this particular order, used by the Apostle Paul there, the Apostle John here. Grace, mercy, and peace. Grace. What is grace? We talk about amazing grace. What is grace? The Bible defines it as unmerited favor. Undeserved favor. We read about it in Noah in Genesis chapter 6. We have, a new, we have a, new, a new member of Covenant called Noah, <laughs> Kirk, Noah Kirkland. What a beautiful name. I thought about that. As, as, uh, it, mean, it, mean, it means rest. But, but it, we're told in Genesis 6 that Noah found favor in a time of turmoil and unbelief and rebellion against God. And why did he... Why did he find rest? He found because of the grace. He found favor. It says he, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Grace is undeserved favor. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's not of works. It's the gift of God lest anyone should boast. So it's grace. And it's mercy. They ask me on my ordination exams, what's the difference between grace and mercy? And I'll confess, I didn't, I didn't answer it correctly. They had to explain it to me. And I think about it all. It's, in, it's, it's similar to grace. And in, in some ways, mercy is the application of, of grace. But whereas grace is the positive affirming of God's favor, mercy is God withholding punishment that we deserve. Mercy is what you give a criminal who's on his way to death row and the sentence is commuted. We're, he, has been, he has been mercifully pardoned. And that is what we have been done. Someone has well said that mercy and grace are the two sides of the unconditional love of God that John writes so much of here. They are, they are the expression of God's unconditional love to us. 
And the result is peace. Before Ephesians 2 verse 1 says we were in enmity with God. We were at war with God before he gave us his grace. Peace means that war is ended and God is no longer angry with you. If you're a child of God, if you have received him by faith, God is not angry with you. Now, if you sin, you rebel against him, you will grieve the Holy Spirit. And if you're a true believer, you will never rest. You will never rest until you repent and you return to him. That is the sign because you are at peace with God. If the Holy Spirit resides in you, his wrath has been turned away. His, his righteous indignation to you has been turned away because he has pardoned you. And you have peace with God. And where does it come from? The source is God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. in truth and in love. This elect lady, whether she is a church or whether she is a lady and her actual children, experiences the same. It's the same. Whether it's our family at home worshiping together, whether it's us as an individual worshiping God, it's, this, it's whether it's us collectively gathered for the corporate worship of God, it's the same truth of grace and the same application of that truth from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and in law. We're, we're talking a lot about truth in the, uh, in the class on J. Gresham Machen's Christian Liberalism. Uh, if you haven't been able to attend, listen to, I think they're all on the web, church website. The audio has been pulled out by our wonderful technician team and put up for you to uh, review. Such a powerful, powerful teaching. But there's, there's been, there's been, one of the, if you want to define liberalism in, in terms of this text, this great discussion of what is liberalism versus what is true Christianity, I, I would, I would, one of the definitions I thought of as I was getting ready for this was it's the separation of truth and love. They're not separated. They go together. Oh, you can have truth without love, but what is it? One, one theologian described it as brutality. Truth without love is just brute. I think of some of my, some, some, sometimes the way I have treated the truth, I've, I've used it in a way without love. Because there is it's such a, a rigorous, such a powerful system. The truth of the gospel is so powerful and so overwhelming. That the, it, when, when you begin to understand it and apply it, it's, uh, there's a temptation just to do it so rigorously that, that you become obnoxious.
So there is that possibility, but there's also the possibility of love without truth. And what does love without truth become? It becomes hypocrisy. Because it's not possible to truly love God or to love others without the truth of who Jesus Christ is. The Apostle Paul speaks of the former in 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, when he speaks of, of... I'm so glad I got to read this at a wedding this summer. Because it's such a powerful exposition of love. We used to, I, when I was a young minister, I did this all, read this passage all the time. And, and, uh, every, and I... Uh, anyway... Listen to verse, if I have verse 2, 13, 1 Corinthians 13, 2. If I speak in tongues of men and angels, if I have the gift of all kinds of languages, uh, earthly and heavenly, but I don't have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. I would, I would say the spiritual mathematics here is really simple. If you have truth without the love of Christ, you have nothing. If you have love without the truth of the gospel, you have nothing of substance at all. It may feel good. It may be satisfying. It may win you an argument. But spiritually, it will not profit you at all. But unlike, but these two things are inseparable. When we preach the gospel, we must we must give all the propositional truth of the gospel. But if the fruit of it is not the fruit, the first fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is to love people, then there's something terribly wrong with our heart. Do you know the grace of God today? Do you know the mercy? of God, the pardon from sin, the penalty that, the pardon from the penalty of eternal death that you deserve and the joy that comes from that. And you have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that results from that relationship. And that Jesus, who is the truth, who, who uh, enables us to love him and to love others who he has made like him through uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, made us like him in the sense that we are, we are in him, in union with Christ through the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father, we pray that each one here would understand the love of Jesus for sinners, the pardon from death and hell that we've been granted, and the life that we have 
And the result of that life is to live a life of love, of, of loving you and loving people. And we, Father, we're grateful for those expressions of that we see in our daily lives, in our families, in our church family, uh, among our, our Christian brothers and sisters, Father, the place that you put us. And Father, we do pray for children to understand this. And uh, Father, we have we've been shown what a what a horrible war on children that is being experienced in the world. And we pray against Satan who would destroy these precious little ones. And we pray, Father, that, that we, uh, through this uh, vacation Bible school this week, would show our love for children in such a way that many of them would understand uh, their need for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we pray for these things in his name. Amen.